Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a podcast produced by the Ohio Sexual Health Collaborative for medical providers caring for women. However, women experiencing sexual difficulties who perceive a lower quality of life do not feel like themselves and are looking to increase their knowledge of sexual health are also encouraged to listen. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Gibbs, and together with my rotating medical experts, we'll be providing evidence-based fundamental and advanced concepts for evaluating, educating, and empowering women with sexual concerns. We'll be addressing physical, mental, and sexual health wellness, as all these aspects are important to enjoying a healthy sexual life. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Karen Connor, pelvic floor physical therapist at University Hospitals in Cleveland. She received her doctorate in 2014, but has been working in the pelvic floor since 2005 and has extensive experience as a practitioner and an educator in the pelvic floor physical therapy space. Today, she will discuss the fundamentals of a pelvic floor evaluation. She will discuss the relationship between specific muscle groups and different pelvic floor issues. Also, she will discuss the management goals of these scenarios. Please enjoy this podcast. Well, today we have Dr. Karen Connor with us, who is a certified pelvic rehab professional and has been in this space doing work with the pelvic floor since 2005. So she's absolutely no stranger to this area. And we're very happy to have her expertise, and we welcome you, Karen. Thanks for coming. Terry, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I wanted to start off today and, and go to just the absolute basics. All of those of us who have sent people to the pelvic floor specialist have always been amazed when people come back, and, and a lot of these symptoms we send with are, are gone, and uh, you know, incontinence and pain and even constipation. And and I'm always amazed. And I'd really like for you, if you would, just to give us some, some real basics about what are you doing physically to accomplish the goals of taking care of some of these symptoms? Would you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think what's important to remember that as a, a physical therapist, we're, we're neuromuscular specialists. And our job is to evaluate the efficacy of how muscles are moving. So a lot of our incontinence, constipation, pelvic pain, there are neuromuscular deficits that we address. So when somebody comes into my office and let's say they have incontinence, I don't just think, okay, what's the vagina doing? What's the pelvic floor doing? I think, how is their whole body system working? So I look at them in several different positions. So I'll have them stand in front of me. I'll have them stand on one foot. That's going to give me an idea of load transfer through the pelvis and control of the hip. And if either of those are decreased and impacted, that tends to be very integral with the pelvic floor. Then I'll have them do a squat. Then I'll have them touch their toes. So I'm looking at movement because I think one of the things I love about the pelvis is it is really sort of the crossroads of function. It has to stabilize every time we take a movement. It is, even if we think about a movement, we've got those anticipatory muscle fibers that fire. So moving your big toe, the pelvic floor will respond. The pelvis will be involved. So when I look at somebody, I'm, I'm looking to see how that whole system is working. And then I might do, I might look at just the kinematics 
of the pelvis. The kinematics okay. is how the joint is actually moving. Okay. So how does the hip work in the acetabulum? How does the um, sacrum move? How does the, the pelvis move? And again, any disruption in that, any disruption, any stiffness can cause discomfort into the pelvic floor and can cause issues. So I tell all my patients that I look at them from the outside in because their whole movement system, the whole way that they decide to carry their bodies is going to impact how their pelvic floor is. So once I do sort of an outside assessment like that, then I'll go internal. And then I'm looking for, do they know how to recruit the muscle? How long can they sustain a contraction for? Are there any areas that are painful? And then I treat it just like muscle. And that's, I think, part of what I really try to tell patients is that because so many are scared, so many are nervous when they come in, is that really I'm just treating muscle. Same way you can get a spasm in your neck, you can get a spasm in your pelvic floor. And I think as healthcare providers, our job is to is to normalize this and to teach them like this isn't shameful, this isn't something crazy, this is this is actual just muscle. So like I said, outside in, and then there's a lot of really fun overlays of the pelvic floor, like transverse abdominis, right? Transverse abdominis is the deepest abdominal layer. And in women, in particular women who have been pregnant, that muscle can get really stretched out. Well, transverse abdominis and the pelvic floor are synergistic. So a 10 to 15% contraction of either so if you pull in transverse abdominis, the pelvic floor should react. They're supposed to work together. But sometimes that connection is lost. So that becomes, again, another something to assess. Same thing with the glutes. If the glutes aren't working, the pelvic floor is not getting good support. My favorite thing to tell patients, this is, this is my line. It might be on my tombstone along with <laughs> how important clamshells are, is... <laughs> The pelvic floor, I have my little pelvic model and I say the pelvic floor does not live on pelvic floor island all by itself. It, it works with lots of friends. And if the friends aren't doing their job, the pelvic floor is not being supported. So it can't work optimally or it's working way too hard. So it's painful. So we just want to look at the whole picture. That's a, a great, very basic look. Uh, when I tell people, it's like if, you know, you hurt your shoulder and you, even if you have to have like a surgical procedure, the first thing orthopods will do is send you to a physical therapist to work the muscles with that joint. Is is that an appropriate analogy? Yes. And again, that idea of normalizing it, that the pelvic floor is just part of the function. And I think what I find with most of us in our training is, you know, we all learn, and I mean, all medical professionals, like the back, the arms, the hips, and then there's the pelvis. And we kind of say, and there's some muscles there and let's go on. You know, most people that I talk to, and I, I really mean this in any profession, PTs included, is there's just, it's just kind of like this black hole. So what you're describing is exactly right in terms of normalizing it is it is just like seeing somebody for a shoulder Yes, I have slightly different skills because I've been trained in them to do internal assessments. That's not usually covered in PT school. But other than that, everything else I do is sort of standard orthopedic care. You would be getting a lot, the same sort of testing and range of motion that I'm doing, the back assessment, the sacral assessment is all if you were seeing me for back pain or knee pain. Like that's the same type of stuff I'd be looking at. Now we're... we're talking about sex in this podcast. So jump a little bit further and and tie in 
uh, we have this pelvic floor dysfunction and these issues going on. Tie that in with sexual dysfunction. So lots of reasons. Um, That's a big bag to unpack. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Can I just say yes? Take your time. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. Yes, Yes, there is stuff. So we know sexual dysfunction is a spectrum, but let's take something like pain because that's, again, a very common one. And I am very blessed, Terry, we've talked about that. I work with a, a true team of professionals who address all the different parts of the system. Because if you're not looking at the hormone, if you're not looking at tissue integrity, I, my, the way I can help is limited. So I'm very blessed to be part of a very dynamic team that we all look at this together. But one of the things I see a lot in women with pelvic pain in particular and pain with sex is some of the muscles of the pelvic floor go into spasm. And when their partner is going in either with a toy or with a penis and they're hitting that spasm, it's very painful. I always say my favorite um, bad boy in the pelvic floor is obturator internus um, because that seems to be the one that just gets all bossy and out of control. So obturator internus is a hip muscle. So you start to treat the hip as well. And a lot of times I'll see, I can't, this is anecdotal. I haven't found research yet or written research, note to self, (laughs) that you will a lot of times see decreases in hip range of motion and decreases in strength absolutely on that side that's impacted. So we can do a lot of things with getting the hip to move, strengthening the hip, and then some very direct techniques to obturator internus. The same way that if you had a spasm in your neck, somebody might come and do some trigger point release, some massage to that area to try to get that muscle to let go. And then having the patient buy-in becomes equally important. Because as I tell people, you know, seeing me coming in once a week and seeing me is great. I love when they do that. But they usually have to do some form of self-treatment at home. So having a pelvic wand, educating them on how to find their own trigger points and release them is crucial to the recovery, as well as empowering them. I want them to feel like they've got this. They can do this. I am a guide, but they're going to be the ones that ultimately fix themselves. So that that's one example of pelvic pain. It's typically, my experience has been, it's typically layered. You know, you start to dig into some of like the psychosocial aspects. Thank goodness for my my coworkers who treat that, some relationship issues, and sometimes just some unawareness of how their body functions. And as we were talking about, Terry, before the podcast, I love that education piece. I love telling people like, hey, you know what? This is how an orgasm works. This is how your body works. And again, we have been conditioned a lot by the media to have expectations of sexuality that often aren't like, aren't in any kind of biological plausibility. (laughs) So just telling people like, no, most women do not have an orgasm in 10 seconds if they're thrown up against the wall and (laughs) no, but it makes for great cinema. But the problem is we've internalized it. Like that's how it's supposed to work. And it's just not. Right. Um, so that's the other part that I really love. That, that is great. Let, let, let me kind of throw out a few patients that we see that we think about sending to uh, our pelvic floor uh, colleagues. First, you know, the the uh, 20-something-year-old comes in. She's just gotten into the third trimester. She's 
had a pretty straightforward pregnancy, but now she's got all sorts of physical complaints. What can you do for somebody like that? Well, it's tough because alcohol is off the table right now. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <No. laughs> yeah. Some of it is, again, is encouraging them. So we know that what research has showed us is that something like 70 to 90% of women in their third trimester are going to have issues with back pain. So some of it is encouraging them and telling them like, this is very typical. You are not alone. This is okay. And that reassurance goes a long way because I think sometimes we're all guilty of as we, as medical professionals in general, like let's say you, all you do is you see you're an OBGYN is all you see is pregnant patients, that sometimes we might get a little dismissive of somebody's unique pain experience and saying like, yeah, 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 yeah you're just pregnant. You're going to be fine. Um, so really listening to the patient is the number one thing, but things that I can do absolutely to help are again, perform that assessment. Are they having pelvic girdle pain, pubic symphysis? I love treating pubic symphysis because I use a muscle energy technique that I get really great results from. For my PT friends out there, it is not the shotgun. Karen in the shotgun. No, don't <laughs> like that. It's a different muscle energy technique. And I see people, it's resetting the pubic symphysis in a way so they're out of pain because that slight shear that happens in the pubic symphysis with the normal separation during pregnancy, it can be very painful for some women. So realigning, trying to get the, the pelvis to, to be more neutral, because a lot of times it's not, and they've got all that delicious relaxin going through their system, so they're a little looser. Sometimes tissue work, again, a lot of times the glutes take the brunt as the pelvic floor, as the pelvis expands, those glute muscles are sort of holding on for dear life and it can be very, very painful. So something as simple as tissue work to those painful areas and then exercises as to what they can do again, clamshells till I die. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes something like a, an SI belt. So for my, my patients who are very, um, who are really struggling with SI sacroiliac issues, pubic symphysis issues, and SI belt to help kind of hold them in place, especially when they're up and active, can be a game changer. And by doing that, I think the reassurance, like, you know, never underestimate the power of our words, um, giving them some exercises and some hope. We see people's lives turn around all the time. And then sometimes like perineal work, like if they're having some pelvic pain, you can absolutely still experience that. There is nothing, unless it has been definitively contraindicated by the doctor, um, which I have not seen in all my years of practice. Like there's not a reason you can't do internal work on a pregnant woman. So again, kind of working on posture, working on strength, helping them find neutral, teaching them to transfer in their new body. So making sure that they are, especially as that belly gets bigger, pulling in their tummy when they go to get up out of bed or to turn over, physically supporting the belly with some of that, sleeping with a pillow between the knees, it's that education piece again. I'm back. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, and then the postpartum period that the, the dreaded, I mean, I, I shouldn't say dreaded, but we find so many things, issues coming up um, with this body that's just been through labor and uh, maybe they've had some tearing, maybe they had a cesarean, but, you know, there's just a whole host of things and I can only imagine what you do for people in that area. It becomes very similar where you're looking at the whole person. 
And again, one of the things I really try to tell my women that, that I work with is you just ran a 40 week marathon and then you either pushed a human out or had the human removed from your body with abdominal surgery. You know, it wasn't like, Oh, here's the baby. Like they cut you. (laughs) And we are meant to have time to recover from that. And again, we live in a, unfortunately in a society right now that doesn't really value that postpartum period with women having to go back as soon as four to six weeks when they may not be ready. So talking to them and then plus, oh, this drives me nuts, Terry, the media, like you will see all those like body after baby. Oh, you know, Chloe Kardashian, look, she's fit. And I'm like, okay, they have the benefits of Photoshop, a personal chef, a plastic surgeon, and a trainer. Like, I would look awesome if I had all those to my disposal. <laughs> so again, reassuring women what's normal and then starting to get and start sort of from those deep muscles is where I would start. Transverse abdominus is huge, deep glutes, reactivation, and learning how your body moves now that there's not a baby in it because it's spent that 40 weeks getting used to it. And retraining, because again, a lot of times that posture, you know, they developed that slightly increased sway back to offset the the growth of the belly, retraining them in a more new neutral posture. And again, trying to provide support and understanding. Uh, that's again, just huge. That's the big one. And then I do try to inc- encourage them to like, they can use the baby. They can hold the baby while they do their exercises. We can get creative, you know, with like lifting and using their baby. So again, it doesn't feel like they're doing all this activity that's taking away from the time that they want with their newborn. Now, I I understand that, you know, I I see a lot of people really go back to having sexual activity uh, after a baby, sometimes just uh, six months to a year. Uh, What what can, you know, I, I would rather imagine somebody that would come and see you routinely you could move that up if they were interested. I think that's the big key if they're interested. What I hear from a lot of women behind closed doors is I can't even think of it. Like they're so overwhelmed with the day-to-day, you know, the newness of having this new little person in their lives. And then a lot of times, even if they had a fairly simple vaginal delivery, and we're going to put simple in air quotes, it was, there's a trauma involved. Like that's a big thing. And the thought of re-engaging in intercourse can sometimes be very overwhelming. So yes, I think again, coming to me, one of the things I see that happens more often, and again, I'm very blessed to work with women is I think sometimes it's underestimated how much breastfeeding impacts that vaginal tissue. So making sure that um, if I, if I see it, and again, maybe getting them on some vaginal estrogen. So some of that healing can happen a little bit faster. I always joke, if there's one thing I could prescribe, I wish I could prescribe, it would be vaginal estrogen. Like, just give me that. I don't need anything else. Just let me do estradiol. Um, And I'd be happy, but I can't prescribe. But again, I'm I'm fortunate to work with people who can. Um, A little bit of vaginal estrogen and then desensitization to any of the um, as their t- their scars are healing, do some scar mobilization, get them used to the idea of penetration through things like biofeedback or just even manual release, get them comfortable with their body and reassuring them. Because again, so many people, you know, when they hear they've torn, have this image that they are not functional anymore, that they're somehow broken when they're not, you know, the body can recover beautifully. 
and sometimes, yeah, a fear of the changes that, that have happened. And again, just providing that and saying, you know, this looks good, everything looks fine, can be so helpful. So again, the six to 12 months when it's pain, yes, I want to see them right away. But I definitely, as I'm sure you found in your practice too, Terry, is that intimacy is complicated. It's not always pain that stops us. Yeah, lots of issues. Lots of issues. So people get through their family and you get the 30, 40 year old uh, females had a couple of children now having a little bit of in urinary incontinence, a little embarrassed about it, making sex a little tough. And you do for that midlife woman. Again, start with reassurance that this is very, you know, most of us in the pelvic world, I'm sure you're the same, Terry. We say that leaking is, is common, but not normal. Because again, we have heard through the poise pad ads and all this, like, oh, everybody leaks, it's fine. And then once again, I'll take my pelvic floor model out and I'll explain, again, it's part of a system. And I'm going to look very closely at hips, glutes, transverse abdominis, because again, typically those are weak on most people. I'll look for any tightness in that hip muscle because a tight muscle doesn't, like a, a muscle that's sort of locked in spasm, for lack of a better word, but a super tight muscle doesn't function well. It can't tighten to give you the support you need and it can't relax when you need it to. So I make sure that all the muscles, internal and external, can contract and relax. So with a typical 40-year-old, again, we're probably dealing with somebody who has never, didn't do any kind of postpartum rehab. And again, I'm going to say typical, there's always the exceptions, may think they're doing a Kegel, but really aren't doing a Kegel. Or will come in and say like, what pelvic floor? I haven't felt it for years. So starting some of that kinesthetic awareness of, hey, here's your pelvic floor. Here's how you contract it. And also, like I said, I might with my ortho background, I, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to treat that whole lumbopelvic girdle, the whole body. It's also very empowering to women to know, like, here are tools. These are things you can do to help. Um, it doesn't all have to be in with me in a room doing internal work. Like, you have a whole toolbox. And biofeedback right now, I personally like it. I And I'm sure at this point there are some PTs that are, like, clicking off going, ugh, because it's very passe for some people. However, here's why I like it. I like people being able to see the impact of what they're doing. So when I insert, and it's typically an internal sensor, and then I have somebody do a clamshell, now that they're seeing that there's pelvic floor activation, if I have them squeeze their glutes, they'll see that there's pelvic floor activation. That's how I can get buy-in. That's how I can tell them like, hey, look, all those things I'm giving you are worthwhile. And then it gives them visual and kinesthetic feedback of, okay, there's a sensor inside you, lift that in. All of a sudden it's like, oh, that's what you mean by a kegel. Got it. And then they can see it on the screen. And as if we do it a few times, they will actually start to see that their voluntary control of their pelvic floor is better. And when it's improving, their symptoms are improving. But again, it's never just biofeedback. Biofeedback is one tool. I don't have people come in and do an hour of biofeedback. It's a tool for a few weeks and then we move on. So I, like I said, I find it very helpful. Another one that a lot of my coworkers use that I have as well, or my PT coworkers globally use, um, and I have it too, is real-time ultrasound, where we actually use an ultrasound. Um, 
I, I always tell people, if you want me to know if you have a kidney stone or anything like that, don't ask me. I'm not even sure what the kidneys would look like, but I'm really good at finding muscle. And we look at transverse abdominis strategy that way by using ultrasound on the abdomen. And then you can also look at things like the bladder lift when the pelvic floor activates. I only have, unfortunately, one ultrasound head, but there are some of my, again, global colleagues who can also look at it um, and do much more critical assessments like with pelvic organ prolapse, but that's not me. I do it for muscle training. And again, for a lot of people, that visual feedback just makes all the difference. So a 40-year-old woman, I'm going to look at abdominal strategy. Is she activating transverse abdominis? Are her hips strong? Are her glutes strong? Does she know where her pelvic floor is? Does she know how to activate it? I'm not convinced we all need to have superhuman walnut cracking strength in our pelvic floor to be um, continent at all. But we need to know how to move it. We need to know how to contract it and relax it. That's awesome. Um, walnut cracking strength. I will remember that one for a long time. <laughs> now I have uh, this same person moves through to the menopause and she's in her 60s. And she uh, lost a partner. She's heterosexual. She lost a partner. But now after a couple of years, she's met somebody and she wants to get back into sex. And she's got a lot of pain. How do, what do we do for her? So again, I think the first step for this to be effective is to talk to one of my fabulous medical colleagues and see if there are changes in the vaginal tissue, which there are. We both know that, right? Spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah, yeah. estrogen yeah. our tissues become a little drier and uncomfortable because again through my experience i have found if we're not treating the tissue in some way and again there are some reasons why women can't be on estrogen but then we talk about moisture and and different techniques but um you're fighting an uphill battle so they've seen my colleagues or they, they're doing some vaginal estrogen sometimes it depends on where the pain is like if it's a deep pain, like that obturator internus, like I said, a, a wretched little muscle, a very common thing in, in our 60s is our hips start to get tighter and weaker. So are her hips working? Are her glutes working? Are transverse abdominis? Where I see a lot of success for people in particular who are maybe re-engaging in intercourse or who might have something, be dealing with a condition like vaginismus is dilators right? That's where we start to have the talk about dilators and the purpose of dilators. And what I love about dilators is they work. I mean, if we talk about this just from a anatomy perspective, we know things that with really high neurological tone, the best way to change that is a low load sustained stretch. And that's what a dilator is. It's a 360 degree stretch that allows and you give those muscles time and the nervous system time to really relax into it. There are many wonderful different dilator sets out there and I can give them options depending on what their budget is. We're gonna talk a lot about vaginal moisture and probably changing from the water-based lubricants to more of an oil lubricant or a silicone-based lubricant just because it's gonna last longer. Um, and also just be making them aware of avoiding things like lubricant education. Don't, I don't know what sadist thought heating lubricant was a good idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> Cooling lubricant. No. Flavored lubricant. No. <laughs> I love uh, it. So 
educating and then again normalizing it just saying like this is typical this is how our bodies change we need to change with it we don't have to pretend thank goodness that we're 18 anymore like we can meet our body where it is dilators become a big issue for people looking to resume intercourse it's a great way to stretch the tissue it's also a great way to address the anxiety sometimes around penetration again empowering the woman to have the, that control to say like oh look i can insert this and it's not terrible i can take it out i can go up to a size you know we'll pull them out and kind of figure out where their partner is if they know and then talk about the, the penis is ultimately a little more pliable. So if they can handle the dilator, they'll probably do pretty well with the penis. And also position education, right? Depending on where they're experiencing the pain of talking about different positions, you know, maybe they would do better with the woman on top where she can control the rhythm and the speed and the depth. Or sometimes if we're dealing with like, let's say a 60 year old woman who has a shortened vaginal canal because maybe she had uterine cancer, and radiation treatment, talking about what their partner can use, like the O-Nut, which is one of my most favorite inventions that they ever created, which is something that partner can wear on his penis to control the depth of how deep he can go in. So it becomes, again, just that sort of fun conversation. And again, I want them to connect to the fun of it. I want them to be like, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. Look at all this fun stuff I get to try. Versus like, I thought I was done with this. <laughs> Well, I, I certainly love your approach and your 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 knowledge and your enthusiasm uh, is definitely shows. In, in closing, give me a parting shot for uh, people just uh, learning, uh, training, getting into this. Give me a parting shot for them. Listen to your patients. Be patient. I know we're all struggling in a healthcare system that is taking away time, but meaningful contact with our patients can make all the difference and almost every patient I treat just wants to be heard. That's great. Well, we're, we're very grateful for your time and your expertise today and have a great rest of your day. Thank you again. Thanks, Terry. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Ed for Sex Men. Please find the articles used in today's discussion in the show notes for further study. Also, you will find the contact information for our expert today.